from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Is there anything about that as a last page that feels to you more like a beginning than an end? Yeah, I mean, the beginning of love. I mean, you had same-sex families, you had uh, folks with disabilities, um, you just had everything in there. And you had silliness as well, so we were able to put everything in the spread. So it's much So it's like, what, do our, what does our world look like when everybody is accepted? And it's, again, what, what can exist. Exactly. Right Absolutely. Young children have a knack for asking questions that, on the language level, are very basic. What is this? Why is that? Where did that come from? A kid's curiosity and an adult's capacity to respond aren't always well-matched. That's especially true of questions like, why are we different? They present a particular challenge because they involve issues that are hard enough for grown adults to address, let alone discuss with a small child. Racism is one of those topics, and this past summer, Goodnight Racism was published to provide a way to take up a very complex subject that touches the lives of even young kids. Here to discuss the children's book Goodnight Racism, released earlier this year, is Ibram X. Kendi. He's the Andrew W. Mellon Professor in the Humanities at Boston University and the founding director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. He also won a National Book Award in 2016 for his book, Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. Ibram Kendi, thanks for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Ibram, you're taking part in a Washington University event via live stream, and that conversation will focus on anti-racism and social justice in the workplace. By the way, we have a registration link to that event at our website at stlonair.show. Now, you talk with all kinds of audiences, adults and kids alike. When it comes to children, how do you address racism? Well, I think there's, there's two levels, or there's two ways in which we should talk to children about racism. Uh, first is talking to them about what what I refer to in my work as racist ideas. So the idea that dark is ugly or, or light skin is beautiful. And it's important for us to actively allow our child, our children, to see the vastness of, of really the human rainbow and to see their skin color as part of that beautiful human rainbow, and to not see their skin color as better or worse, or people who look like them as as good or bad. And we have to actively teach them to internalize that idea because they're constantly directly and indirectly receiving messages that say otherwise, that indeed say dark is ugly and, and, and light is, is, is good. And secondly, we have to 
teach them about the problems are bad rules, not bad people. And they know all about bad rules, particularly younger children. They don't like the, the rule of, of when they are supposed to go to bed. Um, there are a number of rules that they don't like. And, and so I think we can apply what's happening in their lives to, to what's happening in the lives of people so they understand that people, groups, don't have more because they are more. They, they, they have more or less because of bad rules. So can you describe then what happens in the book that addresses some of what you have just talked about? Well, indeed, we we tried to, to create a book that, that allowed our children to, to, to indeed understand uh, that not only are the bad rules creating some of the challenges that families are facing, but more importantly, trying to get to, to to get young people to imagine a different type of world. If we were truly to wish racism good night, if we were to truly eliminate racism, and so the better part of the book is is trying to get kids to understand the type of world we can be we could be building. Now, to that point of imagining, and what we associate with nighttime, there's there's dreaming. And they're asleep. And I'm wondering about the title of this book, Goodnight Racism, and its relationship to the way you imagined people coming to this work. Well, I, I think that one of, I have a six-year-old daughter and who is right in the middle of the age range for this book. And, and, and my daughter, uh, like other children her age, have just this incredible imaginary to really see past what is, to really create and imagine for themselves uh, what doesn't exist. And and I think it is that imaginary that has allowed uh, people over the course of history to create change. And so nurturing that imaginary through what could happen if we could wish, if we could put racism uh, into the night, you know, I think is to me the beauty of this book. For the timing then of this book and that beauty that you're talking about, you know, you have published quite a few books recently uh, with kids in mind. In 2020, it was the illustrated children's book, Anti-Racist Baby. Then 2021 brought us Stamped for Kids, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You, which is the YA or young adult version of your National Book Award-winning book, Stamped, from the beginning. And then in June, you published How to Raise an Anti-Racist, which is for adults. On the same day, you released Goodnight Racism. Now, I think it would be easy enough to assume that you put out Goodnight Racism as a tool to accompany How to Raise an Anti-Racist. But is there a reason that's perhaps less linear, so to speak, um, that's behind why you felt 2022 was the right time to publish Goodnight Racism? I think in certain ways, 2022 has, has been a year in which you, you've had many adults and certainly even many young people who, because of all of the challenges 
we've been facing in our society around a whole n- a number of issues, you know, including racial injustice. There, there are many people who are, are losing hope, are becoming even more cynical, are, are imagining that that change isn't possible, which of course makes sense with everything and all the bad news that we keep seeing. And so I, I think it is in those moments that we need to encourage our youngest of people as well as ourselves, you know, to dream and imagine, you know, and to believe that change is possible. This is a great segue, I think. You had mentioned what doesn't exist and Goodnight Racism exists as a book that is illustrated. And we have another guest here today with us, and that is Kababi Bayok, a St. Louis-based artist beloved for bright, bold murals and a signature style into this conversation. Kababi's illustrations provide a literal background for the words that you have written in your book, Goodnight Racism. Kababi, welcome. Hey, how you doing? I am very well and so glad that you are in the studio with us. Now, when it came to illustrating for Goodnight Racism, and you've heard what um, what Ibram has said about what drove it, um, why it came out when it did, what approach did you take, sort of given all the things that you have learned, um, to make the topic of racism easier for children to grasp in the visual? I mean, he pr- already provided a good blueprint with the text. Um, and from that, knowing that it was more about hope than dismay, it all came about what does it look like when the child is asleep and what is this world that they see. And so at first it was hard not knowing exactly what was in uh, Dr. Ibram's mind and the publishers, but once doing the first round of drafts and getting a response, it became clear what they were looking for. And from there, I just had to um, take what they were giving me and find imagery that represented that. And it was also great because, I mean, the sky was the limit on characters and fun. And so once I got past the harshness of just worrying about the text, then I started to have fun and think about, okay, what does this look like? And so that's how the, what we see now, that's how it became. Was there anything about the text that perhaps challenged you to think about things differently insofar as like translating um, something to the page in picture form? I can say for sure the hardest uh, spread to put together was the one about children not having somewhere to sleep and not enough food to eat. Okay, can I, you describe what that, that looks like? So in the scene and what I created, I wanted to tie two pages together and having done murals in several schools and seeing children come in in the morning and get food. So I, I had context to that. So I knew about the sack lunch and didn't want every child to have def- def- uh, personality or face. I wanted people to, people to be able to see their own classmates. So. Thinking about that, I put more emphasis on the on the hands holding the, the sack. And you can't tell if it's before or after school. But then in the next scene, I you could see this entire child holding that sack while sitting in a bed in a room with other bunks and other families. You know, so that was an evolution to get to that. But once we got there, I was like, okay, this 
this works. It's not, and we just we put text in the background of hope to combat with the image because just by itself it could be heavy, but adding text in within the the illustration to warm it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we see words like community and family and hope. And I will say when I looked at this spread, I thought immediately of my son mm. because the child sitting there, you cannot see his face, but he has, um, or it could be they, yep. black hair, yep. um, wearing a red T-shirt. And so there, there was some resonance there with that. So in terms of uh, inspiration that you took, um, from Ibram's words, is there a an image or a, a component of one of these spreads that was really inspired by something that you read in the manuscript? I would say probably the one with the amusement park. Okay. And yeah. tell us a little bit about that one. So the spread is like, what does this world look like? And thinking about children, thinking about fun, and where I see kids like really having great times at a carnival, you know, because they can eat and they can ride stuff. So that was an opportunity to like, okay, so how do we put this together? So that one really spoke to me on what does this look like as a head? I mean, you had same sex families, you had uh, folks with disabilities, um, you just had everything in there, and, and you had silliness as well. So we were able to put everything in the spread. So it's much so it's like more. what do our, what does our world look like when everybody is accepted? And it's again what what can exist exactly right absolutely. Identity. With these pictures, there are words, um, and they go together. How well do you think a child or an elder, for that matter, who cannot read or isn't fluent in English, for example? could understand goodnight racism based on your illustrations themselves. Mm. I think just the fact that throughout the book, it's not just one family. It's many different types of folk, and you can't tell where everybody is from um, in that text. And the smiling and the interaction between individuals shows love. So if nothing else, I mean, love, does it, love in my opinion, doesn't really have a language it's an expression, so I think that's how I could translate. Was there some part of Goodnight Racism that you illustrated more for adults who'd be reading this than the kids? Oh, for sure. Definitely um, some of the scenes um, around dinner, um, granddad and being sneaky with gra- grandma in the background. You know, I was coming from my own age and thinking about how I like to be goofy on some of the illustrations. Yeah. So some of your humor was definitely infused there. Ibram, I'd like to ask you, what was your favorite illustration in the book, uh, particularly when it comes to conveying what you intended with Goodnight Racism? Oh, man. Trying to to choose one favorite from Kababi is... (laughs) I mean, how do you... I think I would... This, this, this several. I think I would probably say the this spread. I think in the middle of the book that shows just so many different uh, people uh, at like an amusement uh, park, uh, and 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 I, I you know, I, I think that there's just something about 
the imagery that conveys the expansiveness of of humanity, that human rainbow that I was talking about, you know, earlier. But then also the level of, of peace and joy we would uh, pervasively create if we had the ability to, to, to build in, you know, an anti-racist society. This is a question for both of you. Is there a specific component in your illustrations or words, the co- combination thereof for the book, that was informed by an interaction or maybe even a feeling that you had in talking with your own respective children about racism or difference? Um, I could start and say that, uh, I mean, my children are all teenagers now. And just thinking about the school systems in the neighborhoods which we've lived in and their friends and who they've been around, it's been nice to know that, yeah, they really have have friends of all backgrounds. And they've educated me on, why are you tripping off of what somebody says, looks, how, act, you know? So I've gotten education from them. And so I was able to come to this already open-minded and and already knowing that they feel pretty secure uh, with who they are and who they're around, so. Ibram, how about you? So I was going to say that, so I should have went first, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll choose, I'll think about something else. I, I mean, I think I think for, for our daughter, Imani, I, I would I would say that she she is she is someone who is who who is 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 very sort of precise in how she describes uh, the world or even her work. Like she just demands a certain level of precision whenever she's talking about anything. Uh, and uh, and 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 I mentioned that because you know I think it's it's one thing to say oh we need another world it's it's another thing to to really think about what that new world could could be and even more importantly you know with Kababi's illustrations what it what it could look like in terms of muscles. This includes your mind. For you, Kababi, working on this book, how did it stretch your muscles as an artist? I don't always think in scenes. So I try to avoid it as much as possible in my own work. And so in order to be a part of this, I had to push past that and think, what do I already do that can relate to this book? And... Um, I mean, I had already been practicing several things and, and, and even the digital component um, to cr- put the book together. It's only my second time doing a book like this, so that was a good challenge, um, but I knew I could do it. I just never doubt that. But, you know, I just had to sit through that. You know, I'd have fears and sweats, but I wouldn't allow myself to get up from the table and continue to go. So, um, yeah, I hope that translates. <laughs> We very much enjoy what the final result is there. And there is an easiness, I think, to the way the the pictures lay out so that it's not just scenic, it feels filmic, so that you're experiencing sort of what is happening on the page. Um, I would like to, t- to direct the question 
uh, Ibram, to you about muscle stretching, the way that the manuscript reads, it's quite poetic. They're short sentences. Um, was it any kind of challenge to write in this very condensed or more concise form? Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I won't tell you how many drafts uh, we we went through to and how long it took over a year um, to 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 get to to the final text and 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 I think I I I yet again was just struck by the amount of work it, it, it the authors of children's books must and routinely put in despite in the end they're not necessarily being as 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 many words and and so that of course not only the words themselves but the lyricism but the message the clarity for for young readers is is all incredibly you know important and indeed uh, just last night um, my daughter uh, read the full book to me for the first time and so it's um, you know I'm, I'm still sort of on that high particularly as I as I went into this conversation with each of you what a wonderful coincidence <laughs> uh, Ibram I'd like to ask a question of both of you I'm going to start with you I would love your thoughts on the final page of the book it's a single page with the father holding his daughter asleep with her head on his shoulder. And there are just three words there. Good night, racism. Good night. Is there anything about that as a last page that feels to you more like a beginning than an end? Yeah, I mean, the beginning of love. And because if there are many, there are many um, tragedies and calamities that racism has wrought onto our world. And, and one of the most devastating is that, of course, it is soaked in hate. And so being able to put it to put it to 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 to, to you know, for, for racism to go good night meanings means we are beginning or expanding love. Ibram X. Kendi is the 2016 National Book Award winner and the author of the recently released children's book, Goodnight Racism. St. Louis artist Kababi Bayak is a much-beloved artist in town who illustrated the book. Kababi, Ibram, thanks to you both for joining today. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by Avery Rogers. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. Our production intern is Avery. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group.
find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air, suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.